Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. I love that song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Wouldn't you want that to be your general disposition? Like just in life? Like can you imagine if you, if you just lived the it is well life? Like that whatever happened out there didn't have a say on what was going on in here. You know what I mean? Like that whatever storm you were facing, whatever situation, that there was something internal, a piece that you had, that it didn't matter what was happening at your workplace. It didn't happen, matter what was happening in your dysfunctional family. It didn't ha- matter what was happening in your community, that there was something inside that could just say that and say it genuinely, not like the churchy fake face, you know, but just it is well. Like it's, it's well in my soul. It's not confused in my soul. It's not stressed out in my soul. It's not, you know, a, a big question mark on what's going to happen in my soul. I know for me, that is not always the case. I, if I was more honest with myself than I'd like to be, you know, there are times that my disposition is greatly impacted by the things around me or my um, internal thought life are greatly impacted by the things around me. I don't know if anyone else can relate with that, but I know for me, that's something that I am constantly trying to get back in check, right? This idea or this mentality or this, you know, uh, this mindset uh, of it being well, regardless of my external circumstances, is not something that comes naturally to me, and it might not come naturally to you. But tonight, as we get into the scripture, um, we're going to have an opportunity to see what God says about life in suffering. So I I know you came for just the most encouraging word ever, uh, and there's something you could put on Instagram with a a nice filter about how, you know, just the, the revelation of the Lord descended like a dove with a scroll in its mouth for you and, you know, the glory of the Lord shone around you. And if, that, if that's what you're looking for, just keep scrolling because I'm sure someone posted something great you can repost. Um, but we're just going to look at, at Scripture tonight because, you know, sometimes it's an upper, sometimes it's uh, not as much, but we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired by God, and that there's actually something for us in every passage. And so we're going through the book of Revelation, or, or at least the first part of it as a church in this listen series and and pastor uh, Dave so well a couple weeks ago kind of brought us into all of the the churches as a whole what an amazing time we had then and and pastor uh, James preached on the church uh, in Ephesus and then last week we sort of went into Ephesus a little deeper on Sunday if you weren't here uh, pastor Rice started touching on the church of Smyrna sort of the the handoff between Ephesus and Smyrna and so tonight we're going to look a little 
little bit deeper into the church of Smyrna, Tennessee, and see what it, I'm just kidding, that would be a totally different sermon. I'd love to hear that sermon if someone had that, that would be just awesome, I'm sure. Um, no, but, but we're going to look at the church of Smyrna. It's the second church that there's a letter to in the book of Revelation. Uh, because I really believe, although there's a different tone to it than some of the others, uh, that there's something for us that gives a new grounding to our faith that actually lets us walk out of here as stronger believers. Uh, and so here, uh, like I said, it is not my general disposition to have the internal peace, uh, but more so be influenced by my external circumstances, and maybe you can relate with that. And, and so I want to just put yourself in the shoes here. If that is not your default state, imagine if you got this letter from Jesus. It says this in Revelation 2, Verse 8, and we're going to go to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, and are not but are synagogues of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Jesus, would you come and be with us tonight? Lord, we understand that it is only by your revelation that we can experience life change, not by someone talking, not by uh, even moments of contemplation, but by your spirit. So God, would you uh, bring revelation to life uh, as we spend time in your word and, and see what you have to say for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So uh, I've really loved these Wednesday nights because it sort of had a little bit of a Bible geek spirit to it. Uh, if like, has anyone else been just enjoying like a little bit of Bible nerding out the last couple weeks? Is it's like you know just seeing what God has to say. So we're going to keep just a little Bible nerd in us tonight, as long as that's okay with you. And if it's not okay with you. I have the microphone, so sorry. Uh, but we're going to be a little Bible nerdy because I, I really think it's going to help us understand because uh, you, you've, if you've heard me preach, I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon where I didn't say that it's easy to get conned by a text with no context. It's easy to be conned by a text with no context. And uh, oftentimes, the easiest context to find is literary context, which is what happened right before and what happened right after. But almost equally important is historical context, because everything happened in a real place at a real time with real people uh, on both the sending side and the receiving side. And so this being a letter, in this case from Jesus, but through the pen of John uh, on the island of Patmos to the church in Smyrna, there's a few different factors at play that are really going to help this uh, go from just being a paragraph in the Bible where you go, oh yeah, that is kind of a cool idea. Let's just, you know, let's keep on moving to remember these are real people getting a real letter from a real guy who's talking on behalf of God. And so if we look at who these real people are, it helps us to see uh, what's 
really going on. And so uh, just to give you kind of a recap or a refresher, we have, uh, let's put that first map up. I feel like a weatherman over here. Now in Turkey, we're going to see some showers on Sunday. And so you want to be making sure you stay inside. No. Uh, and so you have this is uh, modern-day Turkey. It would have been called Asia Minor back when we were talking, uh, or what we're talking about here in Revelation. And you see that these seven churches that are, are being uh, addressed in these first few chapters of Revelation are all relatively close together. And uh, we saw a few weeks ago that uh, these were all at some point in one of the missionary journeys of Paul. We know that John, the author of Revelation, has visited many of these cities and done some significant ministry there. Uh, but we can see that we're not really talking about churches all over the world when we have this uh, kind of these seven churches, but they're relatively close together. There's things that they share. But there's also things that make them each individual and separate. If we zoom in just a little bit, uh, we can see uh, that there's Philadelphia. Oh, it's weird. LED walls, when you're really close, it's actually kind of hard to read. I kinda, you, you think, just a little life hack, if you're ever really close to an LED wall, kind of hard to read. But and so uh, Ephesus, uh, Philadelphia, and right here, you see Smyrna. And that's where uh, we're talking about tonight. So this is uh, right on the port of the Aegean Sea. Uh, and so right down the road from Ephesus, which is really an epicenter of a lot of this whole narrative, and all the way down here is the island of Patmos. And so here is who's being written to. And this is the island where John, the author, is. And so John's getting this revelation from God, hence the name Revelation. Uh, and it results in these letters to these churches. And so John's down there, Smyrna's up there. And so as you can see, it's on a port. And so it... They didn't have iPhones back then, so we don't have an actual iPhone picture, but uh, an artist's recreation of what you probably would have seen if you were walking in Smyrna looks something like this. So here is just an idea of what Smyrna would have looked like, and as you can see, is a beautiful place to be. So in modern-day Turkey, this gorgeous view of uh, the Aegean Sea, you have this port uh, where there'd be uh, trading and ships and uh, all sorts of commerce happening uh, in, in that port. And really that was what made it such an affluent city, uh, that it was uh, super popular for, uh, for trading. It was really Asia Minor's gateway to that whole, uh, to the Aegean Sea. And so people would be coming in and out and in and out. So by the 7th century BC, it was really kind of popping in there. It was, like, it was really rolling uh, and people really had some money to spend. And, and so uh, it's a rich city. Uh, it was especially rich because of wine was kind of one of their main things. And, and Smyrna, like Ephesus, was a city of wealth and commercial greatness. It was a large, beautiful, and proud city. Uh, they claimed to be the glory of Asia, and they were actually uh, in competition with a few. They, they claimed to be the first city in Asia Minor. A few people were going for that as well. So a really proud city. Uh, and one of the famous streets in Smyrna was called the Golden Street, and on it had temples to all of these gods, God after God after God. There's a Zeus and Aphrodite and all of these. But in the time that John's writing this, the, uh, those pagan gods were actually on decline in terms of who was getting worship. And somebody else was on the upward swing. And we'll get to that in a second. But think about 
this area of Smyrna, the city of Smyrna, and what it would be like to be a citizen in the city of Smyrna. So if you grew up here, you already have uh, some benefits being uh, probably a Roman citizen because Rome was, you know, over all of these things. You have the benefits of obviously being affluent. Maybe your parent was involved in commerce to some level. Maybe they were uh, in business. You clearly live in a city uh, where you have means. And, and so uh, I, that might sound maybe a little bit familiar, us sitting here uh, in the 16th wealthiest county in the nation. Uh, and, and so it's, it's possible that there's some things that we could uh, see in, and now I'm not saying about us in particular, but the community that we're surrounded by. There's a, sort of this idea or this, this uh, worldview that you can imagine would come from someone in Smyrna. Suffering probably isn't in their vocabulary. Like they probably lived a type of life, maybe even higher than the life that you or I live, uh, that suffering just wasn't really something that came, uh, you know, up in, in thought. So you have this, this beautiful, uh, the, the star of Asia, the, uh, the glory of Asia rather, and contrast this with where John is. So John is on the island of Patmos. Now, the island, now this is obviously, you know, an artist rendering of, of what that might have looked like, but the island of Patmos was not a very pretty place to be. It was a hard and rocky place, and, and even if it wasn't uh, like geographically, beyond geographically, uh, this is where they sent criminals to, uh, to, to go out the rest of their, um, their sentence. And so there would be harsh conditions with weather uh, and even harsher conditions that they were put into uh, by the, a large, uh, there was a mine on there that they really made all the prisoners, you know, work the mines. They made the money, prisoners did the work. Uh, and so it was not a great place to be. So you have John on this island that's not very pretty. And then you have the church of Smyrna, who's in this beautiful, luxurious area. But John was not unaware of what was happening in Smyrna. Actually, he was quite aware because here is what was happening. Jesus says in his letter, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So again, when we see historical context, it changes that we're actually talking about you are rich. You have money. Like you have money in the bank. You are rich. So the people in Smyrna were monetarily rich, but spiritually poor. And John, the disciple, was monetarily poor, but spiritually rich. So this contrast that we see is quite big. Revelation was written in the mid-90s. So right at this time, there's a Roman emperor uh, called Domitian. And he was the first to demand worship under the title of Lord from the people of the Roman Empire as a test of their political royalty, uh, loyalty. So you have this new thing called Christianity and this new emperor comes on the scene and says, it's not just a good idea anymore to worship the emperor, because it was already a thing. They were, you know, giving honor to Rome and uh, out of a sign of gratitude and, and all of that. But he said, no, 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 this is going to be the new religion, that the emperor is now God. And so what they would be required to do is show up with incense uh, once a year at the altar of the emperor, burn the incense 
and they would exchange it for a certificate saying that I did my religious duty for the year. Not that hard, right? You show up, burn a little incense, get your certificate, and you know, you're on your way. You could really do whatever you wanted after that. All you have to do is do, you know, burn some incense, get your certificate, and say Caesar's Lord. That's all. And so here's where we start to see this rub between a convenient Christian life and one that has consequences. Because all you have to do is go and burn some incense, say Caesar is Lord, go on your merry way. And here's where we start to see some conflict with the Christian worldview because the Christians weren't going to say that. And eventually that became why John got exiled to the island of Patmos. So you wonder, what could John have possibly done? So uh, church history would say that he refused to, to go along with this, and because of his status or his reputation as a disciple, uh, they were going to make a show out of him. It's like, we're going to send him out to this island to really make a case. Christians, you better say or that's going to be you. And I just love that God chose to use that guy to send this message to those people. That he chooses to use the guy who's the, the image from the, the Roman government of, hey, you better not. He chooses uh, to use him to say, you can and it's going to be okay if you do. So that's Smyrna. You can imagine that for a rich and beautiful city, suffering wasn't exactly in their vocabulary. And I think as I alluded to uh, earlier, it, it's like, even take, take Williamson County out of it, just being in America, I think that we're sort of like built, we're conditioned from the beginning to have a little bit of like an untouchable complex, you know, it's like, hey, no, no, no we're America, you can't, you can't do that to America, we have rights, you know, like, we, you can't do that to America, I, you know, we're, 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 the, we're superpower, and so we have, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, there's something in us that has a little Smyrna spirit, where it's like, no, nah, we, uh, you know, bad stuff doesn't happen to us. So if I'm a Smyrna knight, I don't know what you call someone from Smyrna, Smyrna, Smyrnivian, Smyrnoff, I don't, I don't think you're able to say that in church, but God bless you online. Um, so whoever you are, Smyrninian, if I'm a Smyrna, Look, I got canceled. They just muted me. They're like, you can't say Smirnoff. Anyway, that, that was yeah, Pastor James in the back room say he's done. Anyway, uh, so really, if you're in those shoes and you have this untouchable thing, getting a letter from a guy who's already exiled about how this might be my future, if that's in my email, I'm sending that straight to spam. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's junk mail. Like, it's, it's like the stuff that shows up to your house right after you move, and it says, to our neighbor at. It's like, no, 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 I'm not even in to that, because it, stuff doesn't happen to me. I'm from Smyrna. John, you must have the wrong address. Like, that's just not what we do. And... As it relates to us, like, if we're not careful, 
we can fall into the same thing where we actually conflate what we call our Christian identity with our national idealism, that we can actually turn our Christian mentality into this merged uh, thing with the American dream. That it's this and, that, that we're actually trying to live a life, yes, that honors Jesus, as long as the final result is uh, that I have, you know, wife, kids, white picket fence, you know, 2.7 uh, kids, that they have straight A's, whatever it is, that, that we, we have this idea that we can actually be Christians and have this at the same time. Now, if you have, uh, you know, wife, kids, white picket fence, and 2.7 kids, like that's, I'm not saying that you're sinning. But I'm saying that we start to have this dual pursuit, if you will, that we feel like we can have this and if we can just merge them together, then our life is going to be all right. And it really has some um, complications when you do that because this type of Christianity can't accept suffering because it shatters the fragile religion that you've created. One where if I just do my best to be a good person, if I don't cuss, if I don't do bad things, if I go to church and I give when I can, if I just, you know, try and do one good thing a day, if my, my good things outweigh my bad things and stuff just should go right, you know, I've sort of done my part, God's going to do his part, right? That this is sort of a, a transactional thing that as long as I do my best, God knows, God knows I'm trying then I can still sort of live however I want, that I can still, you know, spend so much time on my side hustle uh, that, you know, that I haven't, you know, actually met with anyone to talk about Jesus in forever because I'm, I'm doing what's best for my family, that I've actually spent so much time thinking about other things. I've been spending so much time pursuing other things, but as long as I have Wednesday night and Sunday morning on my calendar, my Google calendar, then I'm, I'm going to be okay. So we sort of create this idea where biblical Christianity can be meshed with the American dream, but the people in Smyrna are coming to a similar spot that we are where they have to make a choice that's going to be one or the other. Because that idea of, you know, if I just do my best and everything's going to work out, it works until it doesn't. It works until you lose the job. It works until your spouse comes in and says they want a divorce. It works until you lose the loved one. It works until tragedy strikes your family. Because man, when that happens, you realize how fragile that thing always was. Like, I don't know about you, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but there's been times when life slapped me in the face that I was like, oh, that's where my faith's at? <laughs> like, oh, okay, wow, I, th I thought I was doing pretty good as a Christian, you know, I read my Bible when I can, I pray, and then something hits you right in the face, you're like, wow, that's, that's really where I'm at, huh? But they're coming to a point in the story of Smyrna that they're having to make a decision. Will it be the easy way with no consequences or the Jesus way with clear conscience, uh, consequences? 
And there will come a point that we, in various ways, have the same decision to make. Am I going to go along with what my friends are doing and see what the world is trying to offer me? Or am I going to go the Jesus way that doesn't end the same? Am I going to uh, do what uh, everybody else in my workplace is doing, uh, whether it's uh, ethical blurry lines or or gossiping or or whatever? Am I going to go that way or am I going to choose the Jesus way and have the consequences? We have this choice that eventually we're all going to make and piece by piece, the American dream becomes less and less compatible with biblical Christianity. Again, if you have the house and the wife, or the husband, the 2.7 kids, the white picket fence, you are not in sin, but it can't be the end goal. So here we find ourselves in this spot where we have happiness on one side and suffering on the other. And we grasp desperately to jam our faith into what the world celebrates rather than what Jesus promises. He says, in this world, you will have great trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He doesn't say, hey, it might get bad. Hey, just so you know, you know, like if, you know, I might fall asleep at the wheel a little bit. So it just, I'll be right back. No, no, no. He says, that's part of the gig. Like saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to a guy who died on a cross. Like saying yes to Jesus is saying yes uh, to following someone into inevitable peril. He's not saying, hey guys, this is going to be awesome. Hey, man, this is going to be great for your Instagram feed. Hey, this is going to get you so many followers. Hey, man, you're going to be able to say you rode with me. We're going straight to the top, baby. Nah, he's, he's saying, hey, this is going to get rough. But somehow, we've decided somewhere along the line that we can jam the Bible into this like positive uh, thinking mentality of, no, 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 it's going to be okay. I can, if I just, you know, do enough good things, then the bad part of scripture, that's going to be for somebody else. And so uh, here we have trying to jam scripture into all of these things, but Jesus is saying to the church here that it can't be that way. Because the Christian faith isn't about becoming happy, it's about becoming holy. It's less about self-esteem and self-fulfillment as much as it is about self-denial and self-control. The world wants us just like Caesar in this case or uh, is saying, no, 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 you need to worship me. The world is telling us we need to worship happiness. Life is in the pursuit of happiness, self-acceptance, self-fulfillment. But Jesus is saying, no, it's embracing a life of difficulty and self-discipline and self-denial. And so the question is, which will we choose when the Bible verse isn't Instagrammable? Which are we going to choose when it's harder than we thought it was going to be? Which are we going to choose when Jesus is asking us to give up something that we think is precious to us? Which are we going to choose? When life gets hard, which are we going to choose? It's less about self-esteem and self-fulfillment as much as it is about self-denial.
and self-control. So the question that we're faced with here is, will we still choose to follow Jesus when we know that there are consequences? It's easy to follow Jesus when it's easy. But will we still choose to follow Jesus when we know there are consequences? But what I love about this, each uh, of the, the letters to these churches follow the same structure. They each uh, include a, a greeting. They say who Jesus is. And so in this case, uh, he says... Uh, I'm sorry, let me pull it back up. The, the one who died and rose again, saying that there is resurrection. Uh, even if this ends in death, there is a resurrection available in Christ. It, it, they each uh, involve some sort of instruction uh, to the church. And in this case, and they, they end with an encouragement to the church and an encouragement to believers. And in Revelation 2.10, I love that he says this, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Tomorrow's crown is worth today's cross. Tomorrow's crown is worth today's cross. And I think about John writing this on this ancient version of Shutter Island. You know, it's this, this prison island. It's just not a fun place to be. And John's sitting here uh, writing this, and what could he possibly, like if I was him, I would be asking God to make some edits, saying like, God, don't you realize like this is actually not fun? And you're asking me to tell them that this might be them? Like, let's just, I don't know if that's great, like marketing, God, like if you're trying to follow, you know, get them to follow you, maybe we leave the Patmos situation out of it. But you have John writing these things. So what could it possibly be in John that could roll like that. And it brings me back, it, my mind goes straight back to in Acts 4. Peter and John are in prison, and they come out just really, uh, I mean, an act of God to get them out. They go back to the other believers, and in Acts 4, uh, they go and they start praying, and they say, God, those people that were just holding Peter and John are the same people that you ordained to kill Jesus. That it was by your will that they did those things. So God, give us boldness to keep on preaching your gospel. They didn't say, God, go smite them. God, go kill them. They said, God, that stuff, that's just part of the gig. Give us boldness to keep going. So John, having that sort of faith, I, I can imagine he had no problem, problem saying, hey guys, this is about to get bad, but take heart because there's a crown on the other side of this cross. 
that this is not the end, that there's a, another life after this, that there's something that you're earning now that nothing else can destroy, that there's something that you're investing in now that you'll get a reward for later, maybe not even in this life, but it's worth it, that the crown on the other side of this cross is worth it, that the crown on the other side of this cross is worth it. We just sang that song, It Is Well. And I don't know if you know the story behind that song. But let me just read this to you. This hymn was written after traumatic events in Spafford's life. The first two were the death of his four-year-old son in the great Chicago fire of uh, 1871, which ruined him financially. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873, at which which time he had planned to travel to England with his family to help with D.L. Moody's upcoming evangelistic campaigns. In a late change of plans, he sent his family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning problems that followed the Great Chicago Fire. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, The ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel, and all four of his daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent him a telegram, saved alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. God, tonight we come to you. God, we come to you with sober hearts, with a decision in front of us. And God, we declare, God, to ourselves and to you that when we're faced with the decision of you or something else, we pick you. God, we pick you when it's hard, when it's difficult. God, we pick you when it's inconvenient. God, we pick you uh, when it's not popular. God, we pick you uh, when it goes against our natural character or personality. God, we pick you. God, help us to have the courage to suffer well. And God, when that day comes that we need to make that decision, you or something else, give us the courage to pick you, no matter the consequence. God, we choose to let go our ambitions, God, our hopes, our dreams to pick up the life that you've called us to. And God, we choose to put you first. 
because we know that what you have for us is so much better than what we have for ourselves. And God, we know that just as it says in 1 Peter, God, that these light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to your eternal glory. God, help us uh, approach life with perspective. God, help us to view you more than, uh, God, our struggle or our circumstance. God, help us be focused on your plan and your purpose, not our pain. And God, we come to you freshly and say we surrender to whatever you want to do. God, we give you our lives afresh tonight. We give you our hearts afresh tonight. And we say we choose you, God.